everybody. This is John Sherwood here at johnsherwood.com, where we're trying to fuel faith in the 21st century. And I have the special privilege of having a return guest with me, the one and only Marty Solomon from the Bama podcast. Great to have you, Marty. Thanks. Whenever I get to return, that's always saying something. It means they ask for a something, second man. time. That's wow. right. Now, I don't know if there'll be a third time, but we'll see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> you always oh, got to keep the carrot dangling. I love it. Yeah. Marty, I'm so grateful for you and your work and the, all that you're doing and just the opportunity that we have had over the last few years to kind of get to know each other from afar. And thank you for taking the time to be on here. Um, I'm going to get to why we're talking right now in just a minute and this new book launch that you're getting ready to go through, which is super exciting. Um, but before we do that, let's just, you know, dial back a little bit for anybody that might not be familiar with you, familiar with, uh, you know, our relationship. We had a chance to meet in person for the first time at a church in Atlanta a few years back and uh, had a chance to have you on to the show a couple of years ago, right after the pandemic and talked about um, how deconstruction is like going through spiritual puberty. Uh, I will never forget that line. I really appreciate that. And uh, <laughs> grateful for the work that you're doing. Obviously, uh, you lead and are president of the Impact U Campus Ministries here in the States, as well as uh, the host of the Bama podcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, about the podcast, and, and just kind of give our uninitiated listeners and viewers uh, a window into kind of who you are and the work that you're doing. Sure. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I grew up in the evangelical space, fundamental space. I uh, went to Bible college, headed into ministry. I pastored churches for about uh, a decade during that time. I, I mean, I went through my own deconstruction phase. Um, we weren't calling it that necessarily back then, but definitely an unpacking and a repacking of what I understood was taking place in the Bible. And I, a big key to that was being able to travel to Israel and Turkey, study with Ray Vanderlaan. I had some great mentors outside of that that just helped me put some things back together. And I wanted to share that with others. And that led me into campus ministry. Working with young adults felt like it was the right demographic, the right time, the right place to really, to really take some of these things I had learned in Israel and Turkey and try to package them up and in a way that was helpful for young adults. And out of that came Bema. First, it was just a class that I taught on University of Idaho and Washington State University campus. And then I had to start traveling when I took the job as president um, of the organization. And because of that, we moved it to a podcast. We weren't trying to start a podcast. We just wanted to put it online. Right. And um, and we did that. And then more and more people kept listening to that. So we tried to steward that space well. And so, yeah, the podcast is basically a 206-episode journey through the Bible of trying to unpack what the scriptures look like from a Jewish perspective, okay. read them through that original lens of the author and the audience. And then after that, we've spent the last hundred episodes having fun. So yeah. that's kind of where we've been. That's awesome. And so obviously for those that are unfamiliar, you do take a very particular uh, Jewish sort of angle and view at the scriptures and even at your faith. I mean, you're one of these guys who's, you know, bald head, long, you know, sort of Shemanite beard and you wear prayer tassels and an Apple watch. You're just a, you're just a confounding guy, man. Tell us a little bit about that. You cannot figure out who I am. I can't figure out who I am half the time. <laughs> that's but right. Yeah, Welcome we've, to humanity. We, yeah, we've tried to we've tried to live in a way that's been most. I mean, we're just we're just figuring this out like anybody else. Uh, I've been I've learned so I know so much more than I did ten years ago 
and, and I'll know so much more 10 years from now than I do today. That's mm. the nature of faith. That's the nature of mm. learning. But, you know, 12, As 13. it should be, though, correct? Yeah, As we absolutely. It would be, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, yeah, I love to lean into it. That just, that just means I'm alive and I'm mm. doing, I want to be growing. I want to be different 10 years from now than I am today. So, yeah, we, we made a decision. I have Jewish heritage. We made a decision to kind of like reclaim our Torah observant um, as a Jewish believer in Jesus 12, 13 years ago. Okay. And we just tried to do our best being consistent to what we understand. And it's messy and it's super complicated. And I just try to hold it really open-handed and loosely and concede whenever I possibly can in the name of mm-hmm. grace and compassion in Jesus. And mm-hmm. it's been okay. It's been okay. Yeah. And I think we get to occupy a unique space that yeah. hopefully is helpful for others. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I would imagine um, most people that really resonate with you, with your story, with the work that you've done in Bema are those who also come from this sort of fundamental evangelical space, maybe who uh, were in traditions and experiences that were highly dogmatic, very black and white. And 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 at some point, the the, the this tension came in and started to really crack even at the foundation. And I think just your own journey and how you sort of like open up people to explore the uncomfortable, to learn how to be okay in the messy middle and in that state of tension and even lack of clarity, et cetera, has, has been so refreshing for so many, I'm sure. And so maybe you can speak to that for a minute, just kind of what you have seen um, for those in your audience, those that you're impacting, those that really seem to resonate with you and what you're teaching, is there a common thread? Is there something that you find that, wow, here's the here's the thing that I seem to really speak into for this kind of demographic? And, and what has that been like? Yeah, I think I would sense a lot of similarities in the journeys that you that you talk about to my own. Like I highly frustrated by things that I had to start pulling apart at some point in my walk, but it was that same fundamentalist upbringing that insisted on two things, and that was Jesus and the Bible. Hmm. Um, and I'm very indebted to those things. And, hmm. um, and and for whatever reason, and I know and I understand why some people in those same spaces would completely react against those things. And I had plenty that I wanted to react against, but Jesus and the Bible were never one of them. Like I never pointed the finger for me. I was never like, you know what, you know what the problem is? Jesus. Mm. Or you know what the Bible, the problem is the Bible. Mm. The problem for me was always us. It was the church. It was our mm. limited perspective. It was tradition. It was whatever. Mm. But the Jesus, but Jesus and Bible was the answer. Mm. And I, I I knew that. I still, I still feel that deep in my bones. And I feel like I see that in so many of the people that I interact with. And I know yeah. it's not true for everybody, nor does it have to be. Sure. But for so many of the people that I talk to. Like, I'm good with Jesus in the Bible. I'm just trying to figure out what that has to do with all this other stuff. Right. And I right. love that space. That That is yeah. space that I love to thrive in. Well, and it's an important space, I think, especially in our Western context, right, where so many people are brought up into a, a religious context, right? Whether that yep. be devout or even just a civic religion, right, which is yep. steeped in our country for centuries now. And so I have also seen, right, That's not that's not my personal narrative as much. But I have seen working with uh, especially young adults, college age ministry for a long time, that those who do um, grow up in these religious contexts, um, they do really struggle to differentiate Jesus from the church. 
They're almost one thing for so many. And obviously that's a broad brush and that's not everybody and so forth. But generally, right, generically, I have seen those two be so connected for people that it's really, like you said, it's frustrating to untangle all of that and to even view and see and understand and believe Jesus to be something separate from someone who calls themselves a Christian, whether they're in your own home or yourself or your next door neighbor or whatever. And and I, I think for me, that has been one of the things that has helped me because me and everyone else, like you said, who calls themselves a Jesus follower is still separate from Jesus and still fundamentally very flawed. And, and I think that when those two things are joined together in an unhealthy way, it creates all kinds of other problems because our our expectations aren't met and we're we're disappointed in the wrong things for the wrong reasons and maybe you can speak to that a little bit maybe speak to that demographic like what was helpful for you what was one or two nuggets that really were transformative for you in in your own journey of really properly right not not improperly because there can be an improper distinction i believe of jesus and church as well as though uh-huh. they're not connected but they mm-hmm. can be improperly joined as well. What was helpful for you in that journey? That's a really good question, John. Um, I've done a lot of these interviews. I've answered the same question a bunch of times. That's not one of them. Um, good. I'm glad but, to be here for you, bro. <laughs> so I think, I do think, I agree with you. I think that's where a lot of our dissonance comes from because we have a hard time pulling those things apart. Um, I think, I don't think I would have known this in the moment, or I don't even know if I could have articulated this five or 10 years ago, but I Mm -hmm. think what I have learned as I have reflected on a lot of that journey is I had some really amazing mentors, and this is probably going to feel and sound a a little weird for a lot of us, myself included. They they made sure I was very intimately relate, like I had connected with the person of Jesus, not the idea of Jesus, not the theological construct of Jesus like the the real living breathing resurrected Jesus mm. like as a person and i know that that's weird it's weird on and and it's obviously weird but but i i knew him mm. and that helped me pull apart and i think when we are steeped in these i mean my the system that that i was steeped in didn't introduce me to the person of jesus and it's not that they kept me from it right. but they introduced me to the idea of jesus the theology mm. of jesus the the walk of all everything but the actual person that was a far more should we say mystical contemplative right. it was the spiritual disciplines that connected me to the person of jesus and that helped because i feel like i know it would be like if you had a personal friend that you knew very very well in the middle of a larger story it's like you would be able to differentiate that person because you know them Mm. more than just, you know, about them in the context of everything else. Mm. And I feel like that's been, if that's helpful to anybody else, yes. like this really isn't about the doctrine and the theology. It, those those things are all helpful. They're not sure. bad. Sure. But the person of Jesus, right? the person of Jesus is where all the life and all the power and all the help lies. So that, that well, might be one thought. That's really great. And interestingly, you know, I think there's so many connections for us because today in our world of the internet and social media, I think we can easily relate to this idea of like knowing someone, but not knowing them well, right? Like they're a friend on Facebook. I see a few snapshots of their life. I can kind of paint a picture, 
but it's pretty blurry if I'm honest versus like someone that I may be friends with on Facebook, but I see them in person every week. I know their kids, you know, like they're, they're worlds apart, but on one level, they're, they're both equally Facebook friends. Right. And so I think what you're talking about, um, while it can sort of come off a bit as mystical was the word that came to my mind that creates this kind of like awkward feeling for us Uh that have been so heavily influenced by Greek philosophy, obviously, which Uh you talk about a lot in Bema. Um, And so it's this, it's this kind of awkwardness for most of us in a Western context in particular, but interestingly, the earliest Christians would have found that to be heretical for us to not be able to understand, connect, or even primarily view Jesus as a person, as the living God, would have been Gnostic. It it would have been like soundly refuted. And yet it's inverted. And even for me too, right? Like I'm much more comfortable thinking of Jesus in the abstract as opposed to a, a, a living being that is in the world in my life and heart it just starts to feel creepy right yeah. and i think some of that deconstruction has to happen even for us to be more in alignment with the earliest christians understandings and practices of how they understood jesus to be so i find that really fascinating is there anything that helped you to do that you mentioned the spiritual disciplines which i thought was mm-hmm. interesting because I'm actually leading my local congregation through a series right now on spiritual disciplines, something that in our context has been, in my opinion, fairly anemic and in my own life. But for those maybe that aren't super familiar with what you mean when you say the word spiritual disciplines or the phrase or whatever, like dive into that just a bit more. And how would you point people in a direction to start to explore that? Yep. For me, it started with the prayer discipline. So like literally just time of prayer, but also structured prayer or the daily office. Uh, you know, I'd, you'd set that alarm for 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. and noon and 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. And, you know, you'd you'd pray the Lord's Prayer every time your alarm went off. Or you'd have, you know, you'd have a discipline of prayer journaling with your mentor that you're going to you're going to go through and talk about the things that mm-hmm. you, and you're, you know, that you're having to process. What is Jesus? Tell just the question, just knowing you're going to be asked the question, what is Jesus telling you? Mm. I mean, you got two choices. You can literally make something up right, right, or you yeah, can really uh, try to learn to listen right. for that voice and discern. Right. It's one of the things I've been trying to teach my kids is they're like, I feel like at the age of 13, they're just becoming aware of this like spiritual consciousness. It's like, mm. yeah, the Holy spirit can, tell you things and Mm. lead you and guide Mm. you. And Mm. is that really squishy? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. But those mentors made me do it enough. I've never been comfortable in that space because I'm far more cerebral. It's why I gravitate to these spaces that are highly structured and dogmatic. But I I got very familiar with those spaces, even though I was uncomfortable with them. And then when I, when I learned about the text from Ray and Israel and Then I put text into that same spirit, that same water of contemplative practice. Like just, Mm -hmm. just the, just the idea of meditation, just the idea of sitting and just being silent and practicing silence for 20 minutes every morning, been doing it for years. I just feel like it tunes my antennas every morning to listen Mm. to a far more deeply rooted voice, the voice Mm. of Jesus in my life. That's come with time. And if we're honest, it's probably perhaps more difficult now than any time in human history to really do that because there's so much vying for yep. our attention yeah perhaps more busy than any civilization has ever been before etc and so i think yep. you know most of us are kind of like 
either implicitly or explicitly aware of that. We feel that on a day-to-day basis, but it's so hard to break out of that. And so I love that just practical, right? Just a praxis of 20 minutes every morning. I'm going to try to, you know, just be still and be quiet and really try to open myself up to God, the spirit's direction, et cetera. And of course, you know, there can be a pendulum swing to react to those that maybe abuse and and liberalize, right? This kind of mystic spirit. and, And there has been this this conflict in, in modern Western Christianity with the Pentecostal movement. And, and yep. perhaps there's not a fidelity to the textual layer being on top of it, et cetera. And so there's, there's a lot there to unpack. Maybe I can get you back for episode three and we can discuss some of that. There we um, go. But I did want to move on to the main reason why we're here. And that is your new book that's getting ready to drop uh-huh. asking better questions of the Bible, a guide for the wounded, wary and longing for more. I'm excited about this. It's getting. When's the official drop date? It was Tuesday. It Tuesday. happened February seventh. We're okay. we're out in the wild now. It's crazy. Nice. So if you haven't gotten a chance to check it out, or you want to grab a copy, Marty, where do they go? Uh, then go to martysolomon.com/books and choose their distributor. All right, fan. Uh, com backslash books. We'll have all the links for you here in the description. Um, but. Tell us a little bit just about why you decided to write this book in particular. What motivated you to, to in, you know, kind of endeavor upon this? Yeah, I, 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 I've always felt like I've, I've been designed for a mission of helping us have, I'm just one voice of many, helping us have better readings of the Bible. And if I can get anybody tools to help them, we don't need somebody else to do it for us. The best answer is going to be us being able to do it all together. And Mm. so to try to bridge the gap between experts, because they do exist and experts are real and they're very helpful. So to bridge that gap between experts and me um, Mm -hmm. is is really, and I'm not one of them. Like people always love to think I'm the expert. Uh, You can't quote me in a paper. Any professor is going to be like, who's that guy? Unqualified. (laughs) But if I can help spread what I've experienced, if I can hand you what was helpful for me, and just share those resources. That's what the podcast is. The book mm-hmm. is just maybe a, a more condensed version of getting people the tools that they need to really engage in the scripture intentionally. We're going to be in good. We're going we're to be in good shape. So fantastic. So as you're as you're talking about that, like, what's one of your hopes or goals for the book? Like, if you just had kind of your way or just a magic wand and said, if I could just accomplish one thing with this book, what would it be and and why? If I had that kind of a magic wand, I would love it if everybody felt equipped to dig into the scripture and engage in a community, like engage in the community, the conversation as communities of faith. Hmm. Like we, we can all engage in this stuff and let the spirit guide and direct our steps. And we got a lot of institutional stuff that gets in the way of, we have a lot of things we're building that can often get, but we're, we were all given this scripture through people that we stand on the shoulders of. And I think we are either intimidated or we are whatever those things, whatever barriers there are. If my book can help alleviate barriers to get people to go, oh, I can dive in. I don't have to all the have all the answers before I do. I don't even have to be confident that I'm going to have all the answers be, to get started. Like I can just I can just get started. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like that would be my hope that more people get in the text and get the text in them for anything that I do on this planet before I'm gone. If mm-hmm. I can accomplish that. That's that would be amazing. 
You mentioned the communal aspect, which I really want to kind of hone in on for a moment, because I think for many, perhaps in my audience and and probably many that kind of don that generic generic banner of evangelical in the West and 21st century America, we, we do have a tendency to just be trained to be very individual readers and absorbers and participants of the text. And to be a, a community of people, the text is like a different thing that I have found I and many people I know aren't well practiced at. Yep. And so I know that you discuss that a lot in the podcast and Bama, um, but maybe you can talk about that a little bit as we've been exploring that some in our local congregation and using some tools like discovery Bible methods and stuff like that, where we're learning how to allow a community to shape us as we approach the text. As opposed to, I think what I'm familiar with and what I think many people are familiar with is I approach the text on my own, right, in my proverbial quiet time, and then I do what I can, as equipped as I am or am not to do that. And then the only other real way that I engage the text is I hear from an expert, whether that's the preacher in the pulpit on Sunday or that's somebody online or a podcast. And there's really nothing else other than those two modalities for for most people. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. What are some of the drawbacks to that? And then what would it look like for someone or someones to take a step toward this sort of communal reading and understanding and practicing of the text? Yeah. Um, And and it could even be it, it could it, it may even be worse too like it could be that we have postured ourselves kind of over the text as the ones that master the text and we kind of use it like we use the text as this thing that proves what we need it to prove or accomplishes what we need to but it's really our thing we're bringing the text along it's our tool we kind of sit over the text and to i mean part of what i hope to really get through clearly in the book is that the text is designed god wants to use the text to master us it's something that god is using over us, right. which means that we're all, we, we, plural, are all in relationship to this thing that wants to provoke us, challenge us, transform us. There's no way that my singular perspective, whether I'm a Bible scholar or a pastor or just a regular person in a pew, there's no way that my perspective can see all of it. Only all of us together, the Jews talk about a 70-sided gym. Like mm. there's the text is this thing that only together, because I only see one part of it. And if you turn it right. a little bit, you see another part and turn a little bit more and you see. It. And so only when we come together and talk about it, is the spirit really unleashed to work through us as right. a singular plural, mm. um, a community of faith to engage in that. And mm. yeah, and, and, and that's really liberating and I mean, it, it brushes up against some of us as introverts and those kind of things, but to study sure. the Bible, not alone in a vacuum, but as a group discussing it, guided or unguided, spontaneous or structured, whatever that might be, but right. doing it with others is important. And then we got things like power pyramids and everything else that get a little tricky too. We got, sure. you know, we got folks that want to be in charge of that process. They want to get the final say there. And maybe right. it's not a person, but it's a theological system. And, mm. and so we got to grapple with what does that do to this you know, the spirit dwells. Don't you know that you all are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Right. Um, right. So, I, yeah, I think there's a real beauty to the communal engagement. So how would you respond? I'm trying to think of like the the counter arguments or the things that may be a, a bit um, 
bristling, right? And the things that you're saying and, and perhaps, okay, well, well, what about this? And how, how would, how would you handle that? Or I'm trying to think through some of those angles and yep. anticipate, right? The audience's questions. So I'm thinking of like Paul, right? Writing his yep. epistle to his protege, Timothy, and he's talking yep. about teaching sound doctrine and, and not being swayed by false teachers and so on. And, and there's a, especially in Paul, right? You see a very consistent theme in his mm-hmm. writings about mm-hmm. a, a, a preservation, right? A, a uh-huh. purity of doctrine. Um, and sometimes he kind of takes a little time to spell that out a little bit, but yep. not a lot of times. And so if someone were to come, okay, well, Marty, that's great and sounds really kumbaya-ish and amen for the spirit and mysticism. And we're going to, you know, look at this gym 70,000 times, but how do we keep that from going off the deep end? How, you know, if we're going to let go of all control, right? Like, right. how do we preserve and maintain and even right. know when we're not right. some sense of a soundness or a, a, um, a faithfulness to the text that is wanting to be over us. How would you respond to that? Yeah, I would respond. It's actually the only way to hold us accountable because it's the we that are going to do that. And we would have to relinquish control from any I. And Mm -hmm. it really is going to push us to decide whether or not we believe the Holy Spirit really does dwell in the plural us. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think we do have a, and this isn't like a condemnation. This is a struggle. It's a struggle for me. Goodness gracious. It's a struggle for Mm -hmm. any of us, especially when we find ourselves in places of spiritual leadership or anything else. It's a struggle to challenge ourselves and say, do we really believe the Holy Spirit is the thing that can lead this community? Mm -hmm. Um, Because it, because because we're not turning it over to Bob, we're turning it over to all of us. The problem that we have is that we're turning it loose from me or my, or this other sense of authority, but the Holy Spirit's probably got us. And, and then we can put, then we don't have to just abandon tradition. We don't have to abandon our dogma. We can put our dogma back in its appropriate place and go, well, this is why this is here is to help us Mm. to give it some expression, to root us somewhere. But now we've turned the, the power and the steering of the ship over, you know, back to God. And And I think it's one of the only ways we hold ourselves accountable. Otherwise, it always gets funneled to one source, one sure. human right. system or voice or platform. Right. And and we gotta we gotta reverse that, reverse that and, system. And perhaps that's one of the more fundamental and Protestant, you know, uh embodiments that you're sharing, you know, is that hey, we right. do want to put the yeah. text back into the hands of the people and allow God to be the one to direct and and so forth, which is obviously, you know, deep and, and nuanced waters there. I don't mean to brush over it too, too lightly, but you mentioned dogma and there's something that you say in the end of your book that I wanted to bring up. And it's a subtitled portion of the last chapter. It says, who is mastering what? Right. And you say our dogma, our absolute certainty in our theological vantage point suffocates a vibrant faith. Don't you love it when people read your words back to you? <laughs> it keeps our eyes on the ground focused and maintaining the status quo on keeping everything within the lines we've drawn for all the chest thumping we do about inspiration, i.e. inspiration of the text. It has seemed to me that we in the Western church have trusted not in the actual God who inspires the text we study, but in the definitions we've used and the ways we've explained and categorized that God and his text. You know, I love this. And I thought, you know, you mentioned dogma. 
And I know that for many that resonate with you and your teaching and, and, and as your ministry has grown and your influence has grown, I wonder if there's a strong connection here, right? And I wanted to explore that for a moment with you, if I can. This idea of people being in context and traditions and, and spaces, as we like to say, that are highly dogmatic, that they suffocate and they become stifling and stagnant. And so when something can come along and alleviate the pressure of that suffocation, can breathe some fresh air into that stagnation, it yep. is so fulfilling and rewarding and exciting. And I think my guess is I think that that's happening for many people that you're talking to. And so maybe you can discuss that for a moment, how you see specifically dogma interacting in the inappropriate and wrong ways that suffocates faith and vibrancy and the difference between what you mentioned a minute ago, which is dogma in its right place can be very good. Tradition in right. its right place is very good. Maybe you can help delineate how to differentiate good dogma from bad dogma or here in Asheville, we like to say, you know, my catma was run over, you know, or ate by my dogma or whatever. It's, it's not, I'm sure it's not that delineation, but yep. please feel free to, to, to elaborate on that. Yeah. I think, I think when we're always holding our, the scripture, which is the actual thing that's inspired, but we're always holding it up against like we we already figured out what the scripture says. So here's the code. Like here's the filter. We already we already got the answer. And so we're just kind of checking scripture against there's no life there. There's no power there. Cause we're checking the power against the thing that's powerless. Mm. And so when you start to when you start to and so that's what suffocates. And you're right. I think when you start to pull that back or open the door or break some cracks into that, it is liberating. The danger is I think we just want to exchange that for another. Mm. So you're right. People find the Bayma podcast and it's such a breath of fresh air. And then they want to lean on the Bayma podcast as this new source of liber liberation. And your liberation was never found in the Bayma podcast, never found in any other source other than Jesus, the Bible, this thing that God is doing. God's the source. And, and it's very, very hard to keep things straight because it's so much ease. And that's why dogma. You can exchange it and eventually Bayma podcast just becomes the new thing that starts to suffocate everything else. Mm. So, so it's always keeping things in its proper place. However, dogma can help us because there's 30 million ways of doing baptism. There's 30 million ways. We, Christians everywhere have done all kinds of different things, all kinds of different ways. Mm. And so our expression, our dogmatic expression of how we do that helps me know Okay, but when all of a sudden Scripture is serving the dogma rather than the dogma supporting what Scripture teaches me, th there's either life or 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 exhaustion. Hmm. Like there's either life or death in that, and it's hmm. because it's either powered by the right thing or the power is is just just squashed like a fire blanket. Hmm. Um, and that's that's easier said than done makes a lot of sense sure. in our head it's right. e it's easy when you're like okay i know this dogma is super helpful i love this dogma right and it just you kind of start to focus and you shift the priority and all of a sudden the wrong thing is serving the the right thing right yeah and i think what i'm hearing you say is just that it we have to fight to continually daily remember where our faith trust and ultimate hope is it is in the living resurrected god in jesus uh -huh. not in the text that he 
presided over and produced for us over millennia. You know, it's not in the church practices and traditions that we have um, grown up in or practiced, even things that we love. It's not those things. It is, it is the living, breathing God. And you're right. That is so hard because we often don't, see and touch and taste and hear God, right? Like God is spirit. And so it is hard to, to, to stay in that reality, which I'm thinking of the Hebrew writer saying that, you know, like you, it's impossible to please God without faith and just how much faith all of this takes, right? Yep. Faith in what is unseen. And so maybe as we close out here, you can just comment on that. Like what encouragement would you give in someone to move forward in their faith in the unseen. Um, I don't know why this is the immediate clear answer that I'm going to go back to what we talked about earlier with other people. Mm. Like, as you were talking about that, I was like, this is why I love to be in a world where I rub shoulders with Baptists. I'm not Baptist, but I love to be around them. Mm. I love to be around Pentecostals. Mm. (laughs) I do not share a lot of, of orthopraxy of praxis with Pentecostals, I love to be around them as brothers and sisters because they mm. they remind me of my proper place. Mm. Like I'm one of many in this larger body of Christ, the stream of thing that's pursuing Jesus. And it's these relationships and these people that just remind me like, hey, I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, there's some right and some wrong and there's some objective conversations to have, but God must be at work outside my little experience outside my dogma. There's got to be other ways that are supporting other beautiful expressions of faith. Mm -hmm. And that's what helps me. That's what, that's what guides me in having, it helps me remember where I fall in that larger scheme of things. Right. How we continue to turn that 70 sided gym. (laughs) That's absolutely true. It's, (laughs) it's, uh, it's so the secret to so many things. It's, it it is not the answer, but it is where we're told repeatedly in the new Testament. That's where the spirit of God lives. Hmm. We are, we are all like, we are all stones being built into one spiritual house. Right. Don't you know that the spirit of God lives in all of you plural, like over and over again, these writers, Peter and Paul and John referencing this communal nature that houses one spirit of God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Hmm. So uh, apparently the answer is me. And if I'm not around people that I can look around and go, you're different. And I'm probably not going to break bread at your church on Sunday morning, not because I'm not in fellowship, but I'm just going to be over here in another Mm. space, but you exist. And that helps me remember Mm. God's bigger than my bucket. So, And for many, I would believe in the audience right now that do come from a highly sectarian tradition. Yep. one that does not rub shoulders well with yep. others in the playground. Yep. Um, this can sound like nails on a chalkboard, perhaps. Uh-huh. Or perhaps it sounds like, again, a revitalization and, you know, you've yeah. got the paddles on the yeah. chest and I'm alive again or whatever. Yep. And yep. anywhere in between. But, uh, Marty, I really appreciate this. And I'm excited and grateful that we get to rub shoulders, you know. But I'm super grateful that I get to learn from you and that I get to experience God in and through you. And, uh, you know, I just keep just keep turning that gym. I'm super grateful for that. I think that's the thing that's sticking in my mind right now. And just one more time for the audience, where can people go and check out your book, more about you and the Bama podcast? Yep. You can find everything over at martysolomon.com. The book specifically, go to slash books or just click on the books tab when you get there. But our book tour schedule, 
other interviews I've done, all that stuff can be found there on that website, Baymop Podcast, my YouTube channel, social media networks, all the goodies that can all be found there if you need it. So, Marty, thank you so much. I hope that we can get together again before another two years passes. To you, brother. Absolutely. Thanks, John. It's been a pleasure getting together.